Welcome back to another episode of Honey Never Sleeps, a podcast all about sales, marketing, and business in general. Today, I'm joined by Andy Fisher from the Happy Consultancy Group. Andy, introduce yourself. Hi, um, I'm Andy Fisher. I am the Chief Happiness Officer and co-founder of the Happy Consultancy Group. And I'd just like to say we celebrated our first year in Malaysia two days ago. So, um, nice, nice. We're actually, uh, my company, Nectar Group, we're, we're celebrating one year uh, in about two weeks for our merger with, with me and my business partner. So we're happy seeing birthday. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. Happy birthday. Bought a cake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Actually getting some cakes for it. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about um, the Happy Consultancy Group to get started and, and kind of what you do there. You know, give us a little bit more about who you are. Okay. So um, we are, well, in fact, we started life as a learning company. Mm-hmm. Um because that's where kind of our expertise and the main sort of like part of my experience in life is around sort of learning and development, um, which I fell into actually, funny enough. Um, I used to work for BA many, many years ago oh. and started off life in operations on check-in. It used to be called the check-in Dales, um, to me and a few others, <laughs> uh, which was fun. And then I kind of- The airport check-in. Airport check-in, oh, Gatwick yeah. Airport in London. Gatwick Airport. I know. So all of those charter flights go on their holidays. Um, and then I had an opportunity to do some sort of, it was called line training. So when like inductions, really basic okay. stuff. And realized that A, I had a bit of a passion for it and I really quite liked it. And so then I had this crossroads in my career at BA where it was like, do I progress operationally or do I progress training? Felt my heart light in the sort of training and learning and development side. So, um, yeah, that's where my personal sort of career started. And then sort of the next sort of 12 years after that, um, it was all about learning and development, which is brilliant for me. It was at a time when sort of British Airways um, was sort of very successful and it really developed their people. So they kind of role modeled what the right thing to do was. But also I got a lot of personal development, um, in particular, a sort of a course called Leadership and Mastery, where you learn to master yourself and what's your own kind of personal leadership. Mm. Um, It was soul-searching, sort of, to tell the truth. But it gave me a really, really good background and understanding of how people work and how I work, which is fundamental to what I do now. So Yeah. yeah. And so the passion for, well, learning um, really just came from you got an opportunity and you found a love for it. Yeah, I literally fell into it. If you ask my teenage self, would I ever find, you know, would you ever find yourself standing in front of a group of people, facilitating at mm. conferences and all of that, talking about learning? I would have hidden away. I would have run a mile. Mm. But yeah, it just kind of like, it got hold of me. I, I think learning is one of those things. I think it's changing now. But back in the day, um, it's one of those things that you don't necessarily think about as a career. Um, but through the opportunities I had at, you know, way back when with British Airways, it kind of, I fell into it. And I'm glad I did because it's literally changed my life. Yeah, and then, you know, your career from that check-in desk all the way to now, you know, leading your own business. Yeah, I know. Um, and you found a passionate, sort of passionate industry to do that. I think it's the same for me. I I, um, I guess I always knew I'd end up in sales, but I started in more of a, like an IT support kind of job, like mm-hmm. one of my first office jobs doing sort of technical support. And then I be- fell into um, a IT sales role, and then it just kind of escalated mm-hmm. my career. Um, now you're essentially a learning company and now i'm essentially a sales company so yeah it's very interesting i think similar paths a little bit it is oh. but when you you mentioned there ben when you find that passion within mm. you yeah kind of the drive that it gives you the ambition it gives you the hunger that it gives yeah, yeah, you yeah, yeah. that's you know how you approach work and life when you have that is so different to when you don't and that's kind of like fundamentals of happiness at work as well but yeah 
kind of that that passion as a driver when you find that thing mm. it's amazing i think mean, it's very hard for people to find that passion as a driver it's easy for us to say we're entrepreneurs and we found our passion but there's a lot of people who um i guess struggle to do that right Rick, if you're just you've just got a okay. job for example mm-hmm. you're, you're in it for your salary maybe you're not got the passion i guess i try to tell people that there's passions outside of work that work create you know you're earning money to be able to do the passionate thing yeah, cool. you know absolutely in, in some cases not everybody is driven for being an entrepreneur or, or driving your career i think things are changing a little bit now but i was going to say i blame the school system i don't blame the school system but i i think there's so much pressure for young people mm. to decide really early on what it is they want to do and what they want to be. Yeah. Whereas kind of going back to my journey, I wanted to be a film director when I was a teenager. That was everything and all I wanted to be. Uh-huh. Um, it was just really difficult at the time to kind of find a, an inroad and a, and a door to that. Yeah. But obviously there was something creative within me, which came out later. Um, so I, I went sort of like traveling um, for a while. Um, so I took what was meant to be a year off going to university, mm-hmm. um, end up being nearly two years away. Okay. Um, but it was just such an amazing time in my life because it gave me space to grow up mm. and think, to understand me, what I wanted in life. Mm. And so I came back and I knew one thing, I didn't want to go to university. I was yeah. so over that. Um, so, and that hasn't done me any harm at all. Um, but I wanted to kind of uh, sort of like follow um, a passion. So my film direction passion turned into travel. Mm-hmm. And so my plan was to travel the world, keep on doing that. Um, and which is why I joined British Airways for the staff travel, the perks of the job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then, then I found another passion, which was the creative side of me coming out and, and learning. But so, you know, that's what I tell kind of young people is don't feel under, some people know they want to be a doctor. Some people that know they want yeah. to be a lawyer, but other people don't. And it is so pressurized that you almost force yourself into something. But, you know, it's sort of like, I just say, play around, you know, mm. go and work in a coffee shop, learn to make coffee. Go and do an apprenticeship somewhere, whatever, but just play and eventually you'll, you'll find, find that thing. Yeah, you'll find your spot. So learning and development, right? Um, you, you moved into this, you, you started to get quite passionate um, after, I guess, having that opportunity to just try it at BA. Yeah. Um, and now you're, so the Happy Consultancy uh, group is obviously, you're, you're spread across the world. You've got um, your company in the UK where it started. You're now here in Malaysia. Yeah. Um, what's been the approach? What Because I think you guys have talked about uh, problem solving, finding solutions that inspire change in others. Yeah. So what's what's that approach? How are you inspiring change with problem solving? Okay, cool. Can I tell, um, well, not can I, I'm going to tell a backstory now. Because yeah. it, it kind of underpins everything that we do, sure. which will then feed into our approach to problem solving. Mm. Um, so at British Airways, I I got really frustrated with suppliers, so people like me. Okay. I used to be on the other side. And coming in, selling their wares, you know, oh, this is, you know, a leadership and development program, or this is how you do customer service, or whatever, whatever. Mm. And my frustration came from, it was old-fashioned, it was... It wasn't innovative or creative or pioneering in any way. Um, it was just off-the-shelf, absolute garbage, Yeah, a lot of it. Um, so already kind of then I was thinking, there's got to be a better way to do this. There's got to be a more inspiring way to offer learning, development, and, and ultimately consultancy to, to other companies. Yeah. And that really does make a difference rather than sort of talking about it. Um, then I had a, a company came in. Um, to support me with a leadership program. Mm-hmm. And they were so different. Um, they were everything that 
I was looking for. Mm-hmm. So brought them in to do some work. The sort of short part of that story is I like them so much I joined the company. So I left BA okay. and joined them, this little agency in London. Okay. And that's where my kind of real kind of growth happened in terms of how do you design solutions to overcome the challenges that business have in a way that's fun. Like, just because we're adults, it doesn't mean say we can't have fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, in, in a way that's kind of really immersive. But more importantly, in a way that is really useful, useful and practical. Yeah. Um, so I was with that company for a number of years, um, which was a bit of a, a change for me and, and, you know, a sort of like a wake up call because I went from a company that was 70,000 people. I was the fourth person to join. Mm. So, you know, I had a, my own transition very, to make. Very different world. Very different world. Mm. But I learned so much. Happened to, um, luckily enough to work on this amazing transformation program for a company, um, which I think is in the Guinness Book of World Records, not that it matters, for being the world's largest engagement program, like 500,000 people. That's a claim to fame. 230. And, you know, I was there right from the very beginning sort of designing that. Yeah, it's a very well-known global company, obviously. But there came a point where I started to not enjoy work. Um, And this is kind of the real kind of turning point for me. And I I didn't know why. Um, And I used to think about, you know, I used to have that Sunday evening feeling when you're at school it's like oh god I've got to school the next yeah it was the same about work it's like oh god I've got to work the next day and I didn't know why because I actually I love the clients that I work with and the projects that I was working on the team were absolutely phenomenal amazing yes I still had this feeling um, and I was doing some research for this particular client and I came across Phil um, On Knowing Happiness by Catherine Temple and I tell everybody that I meet about this film because it literally changed my life and I feel like everybody in the world should watch it I think they should show it at schools as well um but there's there was one bit in particular she talks a lot of sense around happiness in the workplace and how you create that for yourself and for others um but there was this one piece in the first kind of few minutes and she talks about the ancient egyptians mm-hmm. and that when you die their belief is you go up to the big game yeah and you get asked two questions and those two questions are have you found joy in your life and have you brought joy to other people mm-hmm. and if you can't answer yes to both you get sent back down bye bye yeah relive redo go back up and you keep on going through that cycle so you can until you that. found joy and I just it had such a profound effect on me for lots of reasons and I just thought what a wonderful way to live your life a really simple way mm. because if that was your north star your guiding principle in life and everything that you did was built around something that brings you joy and happiness mm. and something that brings other people joy and happiness then you can't really go wrong there, really. there's no wrong to not get right. you know it may not necessarily make you a millionaire it may not necessarily put you in a job that you thought you'd do. But as a guiding principle, what a lovely way to work. So um, I happened to mention it to my colleague at the time um, um, and just said, look, I've been feeling this way. I've watched this film. Let's you know, watch it. She went, oh, that's exactly how I feel as well. So then that kind of kick-started six months of secret planning of what became the Happy Learning Company. Um, so you, you and your, your co-founder were working in the same agency at we the time. We were. She was operations director, I was director of learning. And, yeah. And um, yeah, she, she felt exactly the same. And we, so we knew kind of what we loved. We knew where our experience was around kind of learning and development and people and, and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but the six months and the happiness bit came from, there was something in this joy. There was something in this happiness that was different mm. to anything that we'd ever seen. It was... Um, it was going to become our USP, um, which initially people laughed at. It's like happiness or oh, that's being bags on the floor. That's a pool table on a Friday, mm. you know, with some beers in the office. Um, but it is so much more than that. It's, it's getting into kind of what are those real drivers? What are those drivers of happiness? And it was a really great time as well, because the world has changed so much, right? Um, yeah. Right. And so. but around about that time, which was eight years ago, there was just this talk of of 
engage, employee engagement become being more than that, being more about people needing happiness at work. Um, it was kind of early concepts, like, you know, Forbes might have done the old article on it and stuff, but it, it wasn't really a thing, a big thing. Um, and we were, I guess, ahead of the game because now it's a huge thing. Um, so, yeah. And it directly leads to performance. It does. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Because when we're happy, like our, our sort of definition of joy and happiness at work is, is that happiness and joy you feel when you strive to fulfill your full potential. Mm. You know, so when you're kind of working towards that thing, that, um, that drives your passion, that drives your motivation, that makes you the best version of yourself, all of mm. those kind of cliches. But it is true. And um, so kind of everything that we do is kind of underpins the ability to help people strive to fulfill their full potential. Yeah. But if before we dive deeper into helping people find their full potential, from the business side, you and um, your business partner, you know, obviously you're working together, but what did you do to determine that you guys were a good co-founder fit? Uh, that's a really good question. Um, we're humans, right? And a lot of it was trial and error. So she was my friend at work. Yeah. One. So I knew we got on. You know, like the friendship was there. Um, but what works brilliantly, and the, this is exactly what the process we went through, is we both brought very th different things to the table. Mm. Um, she is, her name's Helen, by the way. Um, and Helen is brilliant at, um, well, so many things. She's brilliant at running a business in general. But, you know, she's brilliant at kind of the structure and the, um, the, the detail and the program planning and making sure standardization is in place in the way that we do think um she's also very creative as well um a lot of that i love and see the importance of it and take it on board but is it is it a passion of mine not so much yeah. i've got yeah. my sidekick that helps me do that uh -huh. um my kind of love and passion comes with the the visionary stuff uh -huh. they're kind of like painting in the big picture mm -hmm. and putting together the kind of the the whether it's the, the learning or the engagement that kind of yeah. shifts people forward yeah. um so that's kind of we just we're yin and yang we complement each other perfectly from that point of view you and i have pretty much the same type of co-founder <laughs> yeah so it's the same with shook and i um before we decided to merge and i know like there's a lot of founders who who watch um you know honey never sleeps and you know, sometimes you do have to consider bringing on a co-founder and what's the right type and um so i have a business coach and when i was talking about merging my company with shook he said um a business partner it's like it's a relationship that's harder to get out of than a marriage. So you've got to pick extremely carefully. Yeah, you do. And so when Shook and I had determined that okay, we're going to do this, we're going to we're going to come together, we're going to become partners. We wrote down our values, we wrote down our strengths and our weaknesses. And like you, we essentially found that we were yin and yang that we just molded. Yeah. And in the same way, so I'm. If you think of a visionary and an integrator, I'm the visionary. Um, big ideas, PR, big deals, etc. Um, and then Shook is the integrator. She makes it all work. Yeah. She, you know, the processes, the systems, etc. So it's the same. It is. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah. We, um, we talk a lot when we talk about leadership and, and uh, general principles in life around a balance of respect to results or relationship yeah. of results. Um, and I'm doing Helen to service. But if you had to kind of split it on the relationships, she's the results. Yeah. Like, and together we drive both. Ooh, yeah. She, brilliant at both I, I say like we're, we're shook i bring in the the income and she keeps it yeah <laughs> there we go she makes sure it stays with it you know yeah it's, it's a it's a good a good combination good team so you found a, a great co-founder and then you spent the last um seven years building in the uk and then you decided to go for an overseas expansion yeah. um you chose malaysia if i understand that that was driven by a customer 
Can I say Malaysia chose us? Okay. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> sure, sure, yeah. sure. Malaysia yeah. chose you. Tell, I'm glad tell you. me a little bit about that overseas expansion because you didn't just go, okay, let's pop to Europe or the typical from the UK is the US or North America, right? But you went to Southeast Asia to, to Malaysia. Yeah. Yeah. Talk, talk me through that. So about two years ago in our journey, um, we started to, all of our, up until that point, pretty much all of our work was word of mouth. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And it got to the point where word of mouth was like fast talking, man, like seriously. And we were just growing at a rate of not. Um, so we were talking a lot about growth in general um, and what does that look like? And being, we talked to our clients about being brave and bold and courageous, you know, yeah. so, because if you play it safe, you'll get safe. But, you know, mm-hmm. you really want to change. And so we were applying some of those principles ourselves, right? right we need to be brave here, whether that's investment or whether that, you know, whatever it is. But in order to be truly global, global, we um, we need to be brave and bold and make some big decisions here. Yeah, just so happened at the time um, that Post Malaysia contacted mm-hmm. us to pitch for a piece of work, um, and we on that piece of work, which was great. One step back, how yeah. did Post Malaysia find you in the UK? Um, that's a good question, right? Um, Charles Brewer, the group CEO of Post Malaysia, used to work for another logistics company. Uh-huh. And it was that other logistics company that um, I did all of the work for in my previous agency. The Guinness Book of Record. The Guinness Book of Record okay. one. Yeah. And so he was so impressed with the the kind of the transformation that that company went through. Um, his own ideas and everything, but he wanted to bring some of that and his vision into post Malaysia. Hmm. So, um, yeah. So I never actually met Charles. Okay. But he knew that I was kind of the founder of that program okay. um, with another colleague. So he sought me out. So it is very much like the way you have grown has really been word of mouth, even with this big global expansion mm. or, or overseas expansion because it's one country. But even still, you have built your entire business on word of mouth, which must speak volumes for the quality of the work you deliver. I'd like to think so, yeah. And yeah, the, the quality of the work and the relationships that we build. I guess it goes back to that respect and results or relationship yeah, yeah. and result. Um, so the cycle, right? If yeah. you have a really good relationship with bad results, maybe you can hold on. But if you've got good results, good relationship, they're advocates. Yeah. You, you, exactly. You know, a, a company, a CEO within a company will only be your mate for so long. Yeah. At some point, you have to do something to kind of meet their vision. Transport all of got yeah, results, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, kind of, that, yeah, that balance of yeah. that too. But saying that though, relationships like most of our clients in the UK are have been long term clients of ours, mm-hmm. and we put that down to the relationship that you build because then you, you, you become them. You become like I always say, if you cut me open here, you know, a year of being in Malaysia, sort of, sort of red and white and come flying out my veins, the colors of post because you, you become that company. Become and I think that's part of our success is, is we spend a lot of time really getting to the core and, and the DNA of that company. Yeah. Um, and once again, my experience with, I'm not here to, to sort of slag off other sort of consultancies at all, because there's some great ones out there. But some of my experience has been, it's been very cold hearted. It's been very sort of like, come in, do a job, go home. You know, yeah, they've got to know me. Yeah, they have an approach. They yeah. have a, a system that they use and they use that to go, there you go, there's a report. Yeah. Um, we have our own approaches, but balance with that kind of relationship. Yeah. I mean, their approach is obviously, you know, it's useful because it's very scalable and it's it, it makes a lot of sense. But for when you're trying to differentiate yourself against, say, the big four, 
Yeah. You know, you have to do that. So let, let's circle yeah. back a second yeah. to to Charles, right? So he's reached out. Mm-hmm. You guys have gone Malaysia. Let's go. We did. You must have been having some considerations because I know that there's a lot of listeners who will have, they'll get these random inbound leads that come from random countries and to service them is a massive effort. And in particularly in your case, you literally had to set up a new company and build a new team out here in Malaysia. So what was the decision making? What, was it just, let's be bold, let's be brave, let's just go for it? It kind of was. Just it, jump it, it kind of fitted. It was the right time mm-hmm. based on the conversations we're having about growth. Yeah. Um, but it came from necessity. So we have a customer promise, right? Let mm-hmm. no one come to you without leaving better or happier. Okay. And if you apply that principle and that promise to Charles and post Malaysia, what would have made things better and happier for him was to have a local team. We were doing business with a seven, eight hour time difference, which kind of worked a little bit. But when you've got a long-term partner, you know, this this wasn't a a quick project and off you go. This was kind of over a number of months. So the project started you servicing it from from the the UK. UK. Yeah. And and Charles just said, sort of like, there's got to be a better way, you know. And so that's when that was like a, right, this is the moment. This is the moment we're going to sort of like kick in those growth plans. Um, And so we said to him, look, would it help if we built a local team for you? And we knew it would anyway. You know, there's cultural differences, there's language, all of that kind yeah. of stuff. And at some point, that was going to become a challenge for us. So it just fast-tracked what we sort of were thinking about anyway. So um, that was my springboard into Malaysia coming here mm-hmm. to sort of find a team. I never expected to sort of stay here initially. It was, a you know, build a self-sufficient team and then go back to the UK. Mm. Um, but then sort of like the end, the end, end up staying. There's yeah. more opportunities. Mm. Um, mm. Mm. So when when you were building out the team, obviously, you know, Malaysia, you've also got Singapore right on your doorstep. There is opportunity here. When you were first thinking, okay, we should build a team to service post-Malaysia, was that the main driver or was it, we need to build the team, but also we've got potential here to expand our business, potentially 2X like this, start a big... That business. was in the back of the mind, but... Because, you know, I'll be honest, like this is new to us. Mm. And so almost like baby steps. Mm. Um, And the first and foremost, it was about making sure that we could serve post-Malaysia in the best way that we could. Mm -hmm. Um, We knew that once we were here, there's probably opportunities with Singapore and, you know, Southeast Asia is Malaysia, you know, in general. So that was always that became more and more of a, a driver and seeing the opportunities there. But first and foremost, it was about kind of post Malaysia. Yeah, um, but up a year later, and there's heaps of opportunity here. Mm-hmm. Um, just for a personal note as well, I'm so glad it is Malaysia because having travelled quite a lot across Asia, mm. you know, there's lots of really exciting countries that I love sort of very very much. But if you asked me a few years ago which one of those would I live in, mm. I'd right way back to my first visit to Kuala Lumpur in 1997, oh. when the new airport just. <laughs> I know that's how old I am, uh, but um, I fell in love with it then. And you know, sort of like so, the fact that it just happens to be Malaysia is an absolute dream for me. Yeah, because it could have been a very different story had it been another country in Southeast mm. Asia. I think Malaysia's probably one of the best countries in Southeast Asia, especially to live, but also open a business. Because um, firstly, the labour isn't expensive, but it's not 
the cheapest in the in the region, but it's not the most expensive. Um, Foreign-owned businesses is acceptable, whereas like Thailand and the Philippines, for example, it has to be at least fifty percent owned by a by a local um, yeah. player. Um, you've got multiple cultures, so you, so obviously the three main cultures you've got Malay, Indian, Chinese. Um, so that gives you a lot of different languages and cultures to use in your team. Yeah. Um, for the rest of Southeast Asia, it's a pretty well-developed country. It's not, um, I wouldn't call this a third world country at all or a developing nation. I would call this pretty much very close to high income nation that has everything you need, all the systems, good internet. I think it's a really fantastic place. And then of course, you know, the market in the, the, this entire region, it's, you're, you're on the doorstep mm -hmm. for everything. Yeah. You're on the doorstep of Australia as well mm -hmm. um you're on the doorstep of singapore even hong kong you know some of these big markets that you can tap into so i think malaysia is a fantastic place and then living well you know yeah no no exactly no it, it is it, it's super exciting for me um and like i say if there's one place to choose it, it would be here so mm. that makes me happy um but you you mentioned something there ben that was really interesting about setting up a team and one of the things I love about Malaysia is that melting pot of different cultures. Yeah. Um, because they all bring something really different to the table. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's the humanistic side of it, um, which, you know, we're kind of pretty much similar, no matter where you come from. Yeah, yeah. But culturally, kind of, they do bring something different. You know, Malaysia is such a great host of people. Mm. You know, it's such a warm and friendly place, so... You know, and that's really important from a relationship point of view. Um, the Chinese and Indian culture, I'm not saying Malaysians don't work hard, but you know, there's a different kind of ambition and drive. Certainly within my team, you, you see kind of what they bring to the table in terms of ambition and drive. Mm -hmm. um, and so when you put that together, you know, you've got a really cohesive, strong um, team that mm. deliver. Yeah. Uh, you know, and also build great relationships. So uh, yeah. yeah, it works really, really well. And I can't wait to keep on building it. Yeah. And so um, I kind of I know that when we were first talking about doing this podcast, you know, the talking points were very sort of different to where we ended up going. But I'm, I want to keep on the train that we're on of talking about sort of you developing your business because um, I think there's a lot to learn here. So now you guys are uh, you're set up in Malaysia. You've got your main client. What's next? What, what's the, what's the next step? Um, we have quite a number of proposals out at the moment. Mm -hmm. um, so we've got quite a healthy sort of pipeline. Um, need to land those of course um, and you know one of the things that i'm learning very quickly is and it was some advice given to me is you know years and years ago about no matter what country you're in don't kind of force them with your ways thinking beliefs mm. Mm. sort of ways of work you know just settle in to kind of their ways yeah. because otherwise you'll just end up being frustrated yeah all the time so i learned that working out on expo in dubai um it was a very different way of working you know than you just yeah, patience. Um, and, you know, I'm bringing that learning of patience to here as well. Um, so, yeah, there's a healthy kind of pipeline. And I also understand that I need to stay connected with sort of the companies out there, mm. but also be really, really patient. And then sort of like at some point, hopefully kind of they'll land. So to answer your question anyway, to keep on building that pipeline um, in Malaysia would be sort of absolutely great. But um, so it's about establishing your beachhead at the moment, getting a few more, a few yeah. more projects. Um, and then does that mean you'll be building the team and expanding here more than the UK or what's the... the, the so the UK is growing quite a lot as well. Okay. Um, but there are some hot off the press actually. And we're just sort of completing our business planning and mm -hmm. you know, our sort of fitness strategy um, for the next year or two, um, which we'll share, we'll share with the team. But we, um, 
there's real potential here to to build something mm. that services both the UK and Malaysia and South Asia. So would Asia. that mean that you would also use your Malaysian resources from an operational standpoint yeah, to ab service your UK Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So I'll give you one example. Um, we got this most amazing creative designer that does all the post-Malaysia work, but she also does a lot of work for us internally mm -hmm. and for other clients in the UK. And it, as it happens, the time difference works perfectly because, you know, it's not a team are facing role. Right? Not at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. no, it is. It's back office. So there's a real opportunity to get more Sharinas, that's her name, and and build a build a bit of a creative hub here, mm -hmm. you know that sort of, sort of can work on sort of our Malaysian clients, but also service the UK client yeah. because she's brilliant and the, the creative talent that I've seen here. We've used a few other people on a freelance basis. Um, incredible, really yeah. incredible. Agreed. So um, and it's really cost effective to build a team here too, yeah. head to the UK. Um, so yeah, so that, you're not that's one doing... idea of building a little creative hub yeah. that can service all of our clients. So you've got a new market, you know, you have the Asia Pacific market on your doorstep for you to expand business in. And then you've also got a, um, you know, great available talent and additional available talent for you to leverage for your clients in, in the UK and Europe. Yeah. Very good. That's, that's, that's excellent. I think Malaysia, obviously it's, it's, it's cost effective. I mean, that, that goes without saying versus UK salaries. Um, and it's great that you're building on that team because it will just obviously make the business more profitable, mm -hmm. um, and enable you to probably take on more business in the UK than you would normally be able to Yeah, potentially even, um, take on projects where, you know, okay, maybe we're not making as much money, but we could get more money later, like sort of taking on smaller projects that springboard into, into larger ones, right? Because we don't have the same overheads. Mm -hmm. okay. Definitely. We've also got like the, sort of like this bucket of ideas for products, mm. you know, sort of our thought leadership stuff in magazines and, and other, you know, sort of like different products that we can sell. And the problem that we have is we fit that in kind of based around kind of when we got a bit of free time around client work and stuff like that. But by building out uh, an internal creative team, especially here, we can sort of like once again fast track all of those internal products. Mm. And so at the moment, developing internal products and services is more of a we've got some time, let's do it. So you want to start building that out. We need a bit more system. Yeah, we got so many ideas. Yeah, I just. One, and, and Helen's the same and the team as well. You know, we've got so much in here that we want to kind of just get out and mm -hmm. do. Mm -hmm. um, so, um, yeah, so the opportunity to grow a team here that can just fast track some of those ideas. Yeah. Because um, they, they're proven to be quite popular at the moment. So. How has the reaction to happiness in the workplace been in this part of the world versus the UK? Because um, obviously we know that an engaged workforce is more productive, gets more results. But when you're talking about it to leaders who you're pitching at the moment, especially in Malaysia, you're getting are people accepting that or is there still a, a divide between what's happening in the West versus what's happening here? I would say there is a, a gap. Um, it's almost like a timeline gap, right? Mm. So uh, the UK definitely get it more and understand it more. Um, I say, do they get it more and understand it more? They're, they're they doing more. They get it. Yeah, but <laughs> they're doing more with it. And, yeah. and I, I think the thing is with the UK, there's always that sort of jumping on the bandwagon. Right. So uh, the pandemic, yeah. COVID and all of that, all of a sudden, well-being became the most important thing. And it is. It's hugely important in any organization. But that became the thing. So all of a sudden, there's all of these organizations looking for companies that can help them build a well-being strategy and implement really practical things you know and all right. um so and i'm not saying that didn't happen in malaysia but from what i've seen 
um, they're a bit slower to get to that point. Um, companies I'll be talking to are just starting to talk about well-being being really important yeah. and doing something about yeah. it. Other reaction is not fully kind of intellectually getting what happiness in the workplace is, mm-hmm. um, but not really fully understanding the difference and the impact that it can make. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's been really lovely, actually, going to do pitches um, and proposals is seeing kind of that switch and that light bulb moment and the excitement in mm. people. I went to do one the other day. And actually, the, the guy used to work for another one of the big four consultancies. He now works for it's a bank here. And um, afterwards, he said, that was one of the most inspiring things I heard. Mm. And, he, and the, the CEO was meant to be in there, but couldn't make it. And he said, I'm literally going to pick up the phone now to the CEO and, get and, tell and get it done. Mm. Because I absolutely see how important this is. So he kind of got it intellectually, but it wasn't until you you feel it, yeah, and talk about it, yeah. and and see tangible results that it can have as well. Of course, um, then then people start to take action on it. So we're we're at the point of communicating right now, mm. you know, getting the word out there. So going to conferences and like talking about and yeah, absolutely, you know, the, the interest after I did a conference with Charles, a women in leadership conference. Um, couple of months ago as an example and the interest and the excitement about it afterwards you know when you've got a queue of people that want to talk to you it's like whoa you know it's just like <laughs> yes yeah, i want to find out more and that's what i want to do i just want to create curiosity and and a bit of hunger for what this is all about yeah because um, off the back of that hopefully the opportunities will arise um but yeah i feel like i'm a bit of a communicator at the moment i need to get the word out and as a smaller company um compared to you know the big four and all these giant uh, companies in the market with huge marketing budgets and things like that. How do you then amplify that voice of yours? Because you can do a conference, but how are you, what's the marketing strategy for you guys to amplify your voice? So this is one of the things that um, in sort of realistically, we haven't given much attention to. Okay. It's only since really being here. We, like, we, we do, we do social media. Like social media is obviously really important and it's kind of gained traction for us in the uk mm. um it's slowly gaining traction here but I've, there's so much more that we can do mm-hmm. but this is where building that creative hub and bringing in people with that expertise mm-hmm. um i don't have the expertise mm-hmm. i see the importance of it but i don't have the expertise or the time really to do it myself so it's it's within our strategy and within our kind of structure it's plugging the gaps and that is absolutely a gap that we need to plug yeah um, but it's also building fans across Malaysia. Um, and to go back to Charles, he's a huge fan of us, an ambassador. And you know, it's the same philosophy that you want to create within your own company, right? Mm. You want to build ambassadors and champions for mm. your cause. Um, you know, they don't come much better than the Charles. And when a client goes out there and sort of like sort of rallies their troops, and yeah, yeah, no, they, yeah, that's yeah. that's amazing. So mm. you know, we need to utilize that more. But back to your question, yeah, absolutely, need to really put together a. a strategy around getting our name out there because i guess so far from everything we've discussed today big part of your growth or that you know has been word of mouth and opportunities have kind of fallen in your lap yeah in a lot of cases and so now it's okay so we've got these opportunities but how do we start to to scale this yes because that's only reactive right and it's a nice reactive yeah 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 but now we you're lucky to be not lucky no no i know what you mean no we are we absolutely are because we do good work but um, but that's why you have the luck. Yeah, but that so won't last forever, or it will only enable you to grow so much. Yeah, no, we want to grow vision so much. Yeah. So if you're looking for big growth, you've got to get those those different channels that are driving people to your. Yeah. That's why I need you, my nice Ben. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we'll talk about that later. <laughs> cool, cool. So, 
let's get a little bit into sort of you know the product that we're we're talking about because we've talked a lot about the business today um and actually we were supposed to be talking about how to create happiness through purpose-driven programs and we haven't talked about that at all so let's let's jump in a little bit so I think earlier I was talking about problem solving approach for inspiring change. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about now what you guys are actually doing. Because yes, coming in and change management and talking about happiness. But what does that mean if you were to put it in layman terms? Sure. Um, right. So let's explain what the drivers of happiness are. First of all, there, there's a number of foundations to what we do. Uh-huh. Um, and they're all totally humanistic. Uh-huh. Um, um, so one of the foundations is that the drivers happen as well. What are they? I mean, this is super basic stuff. They're around sort of like your people kind of connecting with your organization. Uh-huh. They're around um, people feeling inspired, uh-huh. empowered, challenged, and that they work in a place that's fair, uh-huh. fair and equitable to all. So they're the, the core drivers of, of happiness at work. Uh-huh. And it's like, if you think about an employee life cycle, or employ or think about a transformation you want to go on they're the things that you need to hit you know you need to connect people first and foremost mm. connect them to your vision connect them to the part that they play within that vision mm-hmm. create a story that puts them and makes them the hero of that story because mm-hmm. you can't do anything in a business without your people mm-hmm. i know that's staying the obvious but you know the, so the first thing is connect them connect them to what it is and some people will choose not to be connected for whatever reason mm-hmm. um and that's absolutely fine, you know, and you, you manage that. But what you want to do is, is build this swell of excitement and curiosity. Yeah. Um, fairness, you know, once again, employee life cycle with, with development opportunities, with, you know, promotional opportunities, with whatever opportunity. Um, is the company fair to everybody? Mm. Um, um, because if it's not fair, then people start to get disengaged, actively disengaged. People yeah. start to bring in a toxicity through their behavior. Because, you know, the, the human side of us is, um, you know, when we feel ignored or when we feel like we're not um, or humiliated or not kind of given the right development so we can progress, you know, so like those negative behaviours kick it and all of that. Yeah. So fairness is really important to keep us all kind of balanced. And then sort of like empower. Big part of that is leaders. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of what we do is there's the organisational piece, mm-hmm. but it's got to run in parallel with the leadership piece. Mm-hmm. And one of the biggest lessons I learned in working in the world's largest engagement sort of program, the, the um, CEO there was 100% committed to that. He like he when we talk about role modeling, he is my role model for role modeling. Like yeah. he absolutely was fully immersed and involved, and and so much so when we launched the program, going back many many years, when we launched the program to his top 150 sort of leaders, he said he we told the story and um, he got everybody to stand up and he said stay standing if you don't feel like you want to be part of this journey, and a few people did, or you don't get it, or. You know, you yeah. missed the wrong journey and they still, he said, you all have a choice. You can either change your mindset and come with us or leave. And he said, that might sound really harsh, uh-huh. but you know, the success of this is, is everybody being connected. And, and the, the, the driver of that is the leadership. So if I, he said, if I haven't got my leaders behind this, then I haven't got a transformation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so kind of that whole role modeling and, and the empowering piece is very much sort of leaders trusting their people to do a great job and allowing them to fail as well they all fail we're human beings we fail all the time but it's rather than that being a telling off is around that growth mindset and well, what can we learn from that and sort of, sort of move on and then i guess it's connecting the dots then like how do you get that vision to be at 
let's say, post-Malaysia to get Charles's vision at the very top down to the postman? Yes. How do you get the postman on board? So the biggest, probably the hardest. Hardest, no, exactly. Part of it. That is, you know, because it's that group of people that they're the customer, they face the customer. They, they, they are the company, the face of the company. So it's so important to make them on board. Um, we use storytelling a lot, mm-hmm. uh, which I know a lot of companies do. Um, but through that storytelling, we take people on a, on a real kind of emotional journey. Yeah. Um, and it's a really honest truth. So with Post Malaysia, the first thing that we did was a, a number of story mapping workshops mm-hmm. um, to really kind of identify what is their story. Mm-hmm. You know, so where are they now? Where are they heading to type story? Mm-hmm. You know, what are, what's the real sort of drivers, the passion within the company? What's going wrong? What are the challenges and what are the opportunities? Um, and we did that with sort of many, many people within Post Malaysia. So co-created a story. So when you're telling that story in, a, in an event, mm-hmm. it's like, it's not my story from the Happy Consultancy Group, it's yours. Mm-hmm. You know, this is what you told us. And, you know, so this is where we're going. Um, but the most important part for me with any story is people have to see themselves in it. Mm-hmm. It goes back to that being heroes, which is why Post Malaysia thinks called certified we're a, we're a meaning hero. But you know, no matter at what level, whether you're a leader or a post, it doesn't really matter. You have to see yourself in that story and the part that you play in order to achieve that vision at the end. Um, and so that's that was the first step. I guess the big part of what you then do is enable, like help the company sort of map that out, write those stories, tell those stories, right, the story, get everybody yeah. connected. Yeah. And then one is very difficult to, it's easily said, but to actually execute it. So that, that connection piece actually isn't that difficult if you do it right. Like that's the bit. Yeah, no, 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 exactly. You know, the execution of it. And, and, you know, right for me means honesty, Mm -hmm. but also sort of like fun Mm -hmm. as well and relevant and real, Mm. you know, I, I love big picture stuff and I love visionary stuff, but ultimately I've got to go to work and do a job. And if you want me to deliver on that then what is it you want me to do you know and you know me as a postman me working in finance me working in a retail outlet what do you want me to do how do you want me to behave Mm -hmm. that represents the company in the right way that you know so that delivers on the the behaviors and the values um and that contributes to the strategy and the purpose um and if i walk away from any event um without knowing the why am i doing this and what part do i play then it's kind of pointless you can have a good time you can play a few games yeah but you walk away going, okay, well, that was fun. Yeah, and then yeah, just yeah. keep on doing what you're doing. Yeah. Um, so the first part is play, play your part. But once that, that's a big thing for me. Once that door is open, there's no turning back. Mm. And for me, this is, a, is, is a, a mistake that lots of companies do. They do like one-off stuff. Yeah. And they kind of rally people up and sort of like whoop and cheer and shake their rattles, whatever they want to do. Um, and then they think, oh, that's it. Job done. Everyone's yeah. kind of gets it now. But the, literally, that's the beginning. Because then there's like a that's to embed that whole transformation in an organization the size of Post Malaysia. We're looking three to five years to see actually real, real result. Um, and in order to achieve those results, you have to keep on with it every single day. You have to keep people connected. You have to build their capability. You have to, have to, have to um, mm-hmm. keep, yeah, so keep going. So that's the bit that these, these are giant projects um that obviously you guys are then committed to for many years so i can understand why you can embed yourself so much in a client organization because you're going to be a part of that journey for many years to come um but i imagine that makes your sales cycle very long because they've you know you you really have to get that outstanding program 
yeah. understood by every decision maker and committed to nearly five years of, of a change. Yeah. Um, when you're selling, typically are you are people already have decided, you know what, we do need a cultural change. Let's start talking about this. And then you end up getting in the door. Mm -hmm. Or is a lot of the times is it they don't even realize and then you have to really educate them why they need to start spending the next five years doing massive cultural change? Um, it's a really good question. I, I think a lot of clients know that they require some kind of transformation. Mm -hmm. And actually, can I just balance what I've just said with, you know, there are aspects of that that we do as well. So it's not just about big cultural programs, you know, it's about, we do leadership programs and customer service programs mm -hmm. as well, which... You know, they may already be a really healthy, fit company, you know, that is operating really, really well. Mm. But they just see a gap or a need, a capability gap or need in a certain area like service. They want to kind of do something different. Yeah. Um, or kind of leadership. They want their leaders to behave in a different way. So kind of we do all of the little pockets of things as well. You said fit. And I know that you guys have the fit series. We do. So maybe tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, of course. Um, so fit came about from clients asking us or what, two things really. So like having kind of prior some certain business topics that sort of rear their ugly head, you know, so but all of a sudden it's about storytelling mm. or it's about customer service, almost about I need my people to be influenced. So there were these core topics that kept them coming up um, and they wanted to know our take on it. Mm. So like, you, know, you can read models and theories and stuff like that. Mm. And they're models and theories. Um, but they wanted to know what's the happiness version of that. So it got us thinking. We were asked quite a lot. It's like, well, what is our take? What is our version of events on leadership? Mm. You know, because there's lots of you know, leadership has evolved so much, as we all know. Um, and, you know, there are lots of models and theories and, you know, one year it's the transformative leader, one year it's the agility, uh, agile leader, mm. and whatever it is, um, and it moves so fast. But actually, once again, from a humanistic point of view, what other qualities of a leader, what kind of drives positivity in, yeah. in the workplace? You know, how, how do I be as a leader? Mm. Um, so we just got kind of thinking, we took these, these core topics and we thought, so what is our version of events? And we started to kind of map that out. And that grew into um, sort of a philosophy that we apply internally as well, okay. um, that we could go out and talk to people about, because it gives a real structure to when we talk about leadership, um, we talk about fit to lead. So fit means focused, intelligent and thriving. Okay. So if we take leadership as an example, what does that mean as a leader? Well, focus is about focusing on the inner, other and outer. So that sounds a bit sort of bodily. But what that really means is I focus on me and who I am. So do I understand me mm -hmm. and my qualities and strengths? Other, you know, my teams and other mm -hmm. people around me kind of focus on them. And the outer is the external factors like strategies and purpose mm -hmm. and all that. So as a leader, you know, you need to focus on the priorities of the business what's you know because there's so many things it's about keeping people really focused on what's important and things can adapt based on performances yeah, and results absolutely to shift yeah yeah absolutely so it is a yeah. move, moving feast and, and being aware of that the intelligence bit is is not like a an iq type intelligence it's um the core intelligences that we need as people so there's emotional intelligence mm -hmm. which has been around for a while right understanding myself understanding others mm -hmm. being able to kind of manage relationships with that um there is positive intelligence i mean that's what we're all about mm -hmm. that's how do i lead with happiness how do i use okay. positive intelligence yeah. to yeah. broadcast myself in a positive way social intelligence and that's all about the relationships that i build mm -hmm. um and then there's service intelligence mm -hmm. and how do we apply the right things to a service philosophy in order to be 
hugely customer focused. Yeah. So that bit is really, really flexible in terms of what a particular company might need. Um, you know, that's where your skills and your capability starts to build. Um, so influence might be kind of one thing for someone, just self-awareness for another company, but you can really play around with those intelligences yeah. in, a, in a good way. And then the thriving bit is is managing kind of energy. So it's my energy as a person, mm -hmm. you know, how do I keep it positive and lots of it so I'm ready to face the day and sort of being at my best. Mm. Um, and how do I manage the people around me energy, like my team's energy? Mm. How do I recognize when they're looking a bit stressed or sort of burnt out? Mm. And what do I do about that? What are the strategies? Mm. Um, and it's also the thriving bit is around growth mindset as well. You know, how do I build uh, and habits around having a growth mindset? So I'm always looking to develop and grow. So fit, whether it's fit to lead, fit to stories or whatever, is based around focused, intelligent and thriving. Wow. Those three things. And this is a series where more like, you know, as a business, they can come in and purchase them as like a workshop or yeah. that kind of style. Yeah, definitely. We So we were very bespoke when we started yeah. um, and then realized that we're not really servicing some of those smaller companies mm -hmm. that don't have huge budgets. Mm -hmm. um, and we want to spread the word of kind of happiness in the workplace to all. So your vision. So, vision. so as a result of these conversations, um, yeah, there are sort of products. I mean, if I bought one along, like oh. Fit Storytell, um, the Internet Storytelling Excellence. So you can buy products. Mm -hmm. um, but we've started to create kind of workshops as well, mm. um, which are, um, they can be sort of tailored and, and I, they should be tailored, you know, to a company's culture components, yeah. the purpose, the yeah. strategy, yeah. but the structure is kind of there. Um, and um, yeah, and they, they're proving sort of really, really sort of popular. But as we have progressed with the whole kind of fit concept and philosophy, um, we just realized actually this is really important to us as a mm. company too. So we apply it to internally, you know, inside our own little house um, with, we have a fitness strategy now, fitness yeah. plans. Um, everybody has a fitness plan. Um, we have fitness checkups every month. UK, Malaysia come together over Zoom and, you know, just sort of with our own story, we have our own story and we, you know, celebrate successes, talk about challenges, share ideas, have development opportunities and stuff like that. So it's a philosophy that we now kind of apply yeah, to ourselves yeah. too. It's that uh, you're practicing what you preach. Completely. You know, um, we're, we're still a big work in progress on on things like that. We now have, um, it's not as probably as comprehensive as FIT, but we're doing uh, PDPs, like personal development plans and um, different things like that to try and help grow um, our internal stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, and then with our leadership team, um, we have coaching because myself and my business partner both have a business coach and we really believe in having an external coach, a professional coach, much like athletes, they still have coaches, right? Yeah. Um, so we uh, provide coaches for all of our leaders. Um, it's it's much harder to, to implement all of these things, especially as a small company like us, um, but we do our best before we go. I definitely want to have a look into this. Thing. Do you know what, Ben? I, uh, I'm all about just doing stuff. Yeah. And, and, Perfection to me doesn't exist no. at all. Perfection is you an know, excuse for failure. It is, you know, like Yoda says, sort of do or do not. There is no try. Yeah, like, yeah. So just do it. Yeah. And then, you know, if you've got great relationships and, you know, an, an open kind of workplace, when it's not working, you'll talk about it and you amend it, you adjust yeah. it. But you do that together collaboratively. And then you'll find something that does work for you. Um, but the starting point is just give it a go. Yeah. Try, try, fail fast. 
right? Yes, yeah, exactly. Part. Yes. Yeah. So um, as we start to come to sort of a close in our conversation, really, um, you are focused on obviously growing the business out here, um, building out the team whilst creating that positive work culture. Maybe tell me a little bit about um, how are you ensuring that the culture that you built in the UK is transitioning here to the Malaysian office and keeping that positive culture as a way to wrap up throughout your overseas expansion. How are you bringing all of that happiness, success from the UK to your Malaysian team? Love that. Um, for me, it's all about consistency and collaboration. Mm -hmm. And so um, going back many, many years, sort of like Helen and I, had this vision, we started it, and then we created, in the same way that we do stories for other companies, we created our own story. Mm. And it was like our, it kind of kept us on track, you know, who we are, what we do, where we're heading. Mm -hmm. um, that was very much kind of our story, and, yeah. and that story was very UK-based. So just recently, a few months ago, um, we sort of, Helen came out here, we did some, a few days, development days, um, to rewrite that story. Mm. Um, with the, the Malaysian team, like, because it was very UK centric. So let's go through each chapter and let's hear your version of events, yes. you know, and so on and so forth. We did the same thing in the UK as well. So as we speak, we're currently rewriting and co-creating that new sort of story version two, two point zero, sort of which brings everybody together. And just even going through that process for the Malaysian team was amazing. Like the difference in their, their connection and their motivation and understanding as well is, is immense. Um, so when we do produce this story, which becomes a bit of a guiding light, you know, like I said before, they can see themselves in it now. Mm. Um, and then that gives us all the same right, the consistent direction. Everybody, not just sort of the leadership thinking about yeah. what are we going to do this year. Yeah. You actually went down to Edinburgh and you wrote a story together. Yes. And then, of course, you'll align those stories to your business goals. Absolutely. That's exactly what they are. Yeah. And then so with the solutions team, um, we have been victim to the UK just cracking on. Mm. doing what they do and we're doing what we're doing and actually both teams are doing some brilliant stuff and not we're not providing the opportunity to connect it and to share it to find that best practice that way of, of doing things so we're introducing that a lot more now where as a so as you use the solutions team as an example where they kind of have regular check-ins and the fitness checkups as well and they shared oh we did this with post malaysia mm. i love that you know so we that becomes a template that we all use so bringing back that consistency. So like weekly learning sessions. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All of that. And, you know, you guys have gone through an incredible, like the last year you've done, you've, well, the last two years, you've taken a massive overseas project. You started to build an like an entire company again over on the other side of the world. For other listeners who are thinking, hmm, is overseas expansion for me? What, what advice would you give? Okay. Number one, it's tougher than you think. <laughs> Don't go into it thinking it's going to be a breeze. Yeah. And that, that challenge comes from a number of things, whether it's cultural differences, ways of working in a country. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. When I came out last year to set up the business, um, those first six months, probably the most challenging of my whole career. Mm. Um, I've been running a business with Helen in the UK. And I thought, oh, okay, it's just a case of taking something like that and putting it on that. But it is not at all. Mm -hmm. you, know, you're, you face very different barriers and things like that. So um, it goes back to, yeah, so go, in, go into those situations um, knowing that, you know, you're going to face lots sorts of challenges and not going to be a brick. Um, so surround yourself, with, this applies to teams in general, surround yourself with great people who can give you the right advice as mm -hmm. well. And um, we made a few mistakes initially. Um, and, and it's a bit like when you're looking for a builder to build a house. Um, and I've made this mistake personally as well, um, building an extension. And 
sometimes it's very easy to go for the company or the builders that say they can do it the quickest and the cheapest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with that, I'm unkeep. Yeah, exactly. But with that comes a lot of problems. So kind of find the right person, the right fit for you, the right person that gives you really, really solid advice, um, which isn't necessarily the cheapest, but it's the most valuable. Um, and yeah, just resilience and learn to apply kind of the, the drivers of happening, learn to apply that kind of positive thinking and reframe it. So whenever you hit kind of challenges, um, you can sort of like get yourself out of it. You know, you can see the, the look at it as a positive problem. Then, you know, and apply what we talk to our clients about yourself. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's, it's, it's tough building a business and it's still tough. I'm learning every single day. That's, uh, you know, 80% of businesses fail in the first five years and um, 80% of the ones that passed fail in the second five years. So of course it's tough. Yeah. Otherwise everybody would do it. Yeah, that's true. Right. Uh, it's been a, a really good conversation. It's been really exciting to sort of hear about your journey of expansion, how you built the business, how you chose your co-founder, how you expanded, how you built your team, how you built your your fit product. Um, yeah, really good. Thank you very much. Thanks, Colin. Ben. Can I just say one last thing, one very last thing? It's a strap line of ours, and I just think that everybody should apply it to their lives. And that is, a lot of people wait for happiness to come to them. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't. You have to create it. As in, Helen and I did it with our company. But whatever it is you're looking for, don't expect it to come to you. You have to kind of get off your arm and go and get it. Yeah. So don't look for it. And that, it, that's it. for everybody, right? That's not yeah. just for the business owners and leaders. That's for the, the, the executives, everybody. It's a life. It's a life. life. That's a life of lassie. It is a life lesson. The pursuit yes. of happiness. Yeah. Thank you so much. Cheers, Cheers man. Awesome.